Uh, what is up, guys, and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. James is not here with me this week. He's had a few things that he's got to do at home. However, we have indeed got a guest joining us over the interwebs. Um, because I love having game designers, publishers on the show. Today is no different. So everyone, please make welcome to the show, Fabrizio. How are you doing today, Fabrizio? I apologize if I got your name wrong. <laughs> no, no, you got it right. I'm fine. Thank you, Jason, for having me. Thank you, James. You're not here today, but thank you anyway for having me on your show. So uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm pretty good today. Excellent. Excellent. It's good to hear. Good to hear. I know that um, we, we've been chatting personally a, a little bit recently about a game that you have coming up very soon, which we will undoubtedly talk about a little later. But I think really, in true podcast fashion, the very first thing that I need to do is ask you all about yourself and your history in gaming. So how did the journey start within tabletop gaming for you and what are your earliest gaming memories? So um, I started playing board games quite early. I'm from Brazil, mm-hmm. and uh, back in the 80s, we had like the regular common games that we have everywhere, like a Monopoly and Game of Life and this kind of stuff. So um, Game of Life was, I think, my first uh, like more extensive game. Like, uh, of course, it's still like a dice rolling game, but you have to take decisions and stuff like that. Of course, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it was it's one of my first memories uh, of playing board game. But after that, I kind of strayed away from uh, board games a little bit, and I started playing uh, tabletop RPG. Okay, cool, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then I started making scenarios for my friends. We played, like, one very long campaign that took 10 years to play. Oh, wow. And Yes, and it was... Uh, 240 something scenarios across 10 years so it was uh, really cool amazing uh coincidentally as my board game also cyberpunk themed (laughs) so uh very nice uh, experience with that of course i played other stuff as well in this period and then in 2003 i started playing call of cthulhu which is one of my favorite uh, rpgs uh, to this day honestly and, it's a very popular theme. Um, yes, very. Yeah, nowadays even too popular, I would say. <laughs> oh yes, I, I think I would agree with you on that one. <laughs> yeah, and um, and at about the same time, I started with this idea of developing games. I mean, I I had written hundreds of scenarios, literally. So I said, okay, maybe we can. Oh, we have. We had even me and my friends develop the uh, RPG system we are using. We started that long time, uh, long running campaign, playing with GURPS. Then we moved to something and at some point we we're like, okay, I think we're, we're good enough to make our own system. And we did. And we finished, I guess, the last three years of the campaign uh, playing with our own system. And then I thought, okay, if I can do this, I can do more than this. <laughs> so I started uh, having this idea for uh, a board game. I was very interested, interested in uh, real-time strategy games uh, at the time in the computer. So I wanted okay. to play something that was still turn-based, but would give me the same feeling that I had playing, for example, Age of Empire mm. um, or even StarCraft, something like that. And then I came up with a with a game. I think I called it Fateland or something like this. <laughs> it was horrible. The <laughs> the 
Rubook had 50 pages or something. And I had this amazing system like to evolve all your units and stuff like this. The map was huge and the game would take seven hours to play or something. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was very bad. Was so just that, I, that, that sounds like two uh, two of my big no goes there. Like I don't particularly like hugely long games, and I'm not huge. Like I I like some real time games, but I'm not a huge real time game fan. Right. So I was like, yeah, that sounds like. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so I mean, in, in the end, it was terrible. I my, I I pity all my friends that I forced to play that game sometimes. <laughs> so, but <laughs> are they still but, your yeah. friends? That's the real question. Yeah, they are. They are. They still That's are all right. They can't have been that bad. <laughs> so, and then of course, I, after that, I started like uh, dwelling even more into game design and understanding uh, how I could make games and so on. But I, to be honest, I never thought about publishing. I mm. was making games for my family and friends. So for me, it was all fun and games, and that was okay. And then when I moved to, so that in 2015, I moved to Sweden mm-hmm. uh, from Brazil. And I thought I would would not have the same uh, type of group to play with, but I was completely wrong. The board game scene here is like super big. Yeah, I've heard that it's uh, incredibly big over there. Yes, it is indeed. And then I realized that, I mean, even I could play my games even with people that were not like my longtime friends and so on. So I was like, okay, they were not like just trying to make me feel good and telling me the the games were good. So I, I maybe I can do this for real, and then I started developing games with this intention of publishing them. Nice. So that's more or less how I how I came to this day. So of course I I went through many ideas and many different prototypes uh, before I landed on my current uh, main game, Hyper Wars, mm-hmm. and um, after that even was when I created the company, Dice Coalition Games, and that's where I am right now. Nice. Very, very nice. So, I mean, obviously that that's a, a hell of a history, you know, within the tabletop um, gaming sphere, which, which is great, you know, and this is one thing I like when I talk to designers, publishers and all that, and actually hearing their background because, you know, everyone's different, you know, other than the very first games, you know, we, you always hear the words monopoly and, and, and Cluedo and that, you know, everyone was brought up on those games and we've all evolved to know that those games aren't what we want to play nowadays, which is, yeah. yeah. I mean, th- that that's me being nice, you know. I, I try not to slate the games too much, <laughs> but the, the the truth of it is, yeah, I think we, we all hate those games nowadays and the memories that, well, the bad memories that they brought. But yeah, uh, yeah. is there any, I mean, obviously other than your own games, is there any games that you're playing now? that you like stand out in your your memory that are like oh my god this game's really really good yes definitely yes so there's always uh, great games to play so <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's uh, really cool um one of my favorite current games is root oh yes so, yeah root is so amazing i mean uh, it's super good i there are some minor stuff that i i don't like like design wise mm-hmm. of the game but in general the experience of playing is always amazing i yeah. really really um, enjoy it and even more recently i started dwelling a bit in the solo games but not games that were made to be multiplayer and then like and they have a solo version but yes games that are made to be played just by one player all the time yeah um 
and especially puzzle games because I'm myself I'm trying to make a puzzle game now okay and so I started playing other games to like to see how they work how they feel and, and mm. getting more uh, substance so to at least discuss this uh, subject um, and I'm playing a game from uh, Rene Kinesia uh, called Brains Japanese Garden. Oh, yeah. The, the, the good doctor is, that is Mr. Rainer Kinesia. Yes. Oh, my God. Such a good game. I really, really enjoy it. I have it's no idea good. how a single human can come up with so many different so game many ideas. different games, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. How does he do that? Like, it's crazy. It's you crazy. get you yeah. get to you know speak to some people and they're like yeah i i'm i really thought i was going to break down creating one game how you go about making hundreds upon hundreds of games and yes. you know granted they're not all like instant classics but they're not i, I can't think of any really that are bad per se which exactly. means you know yeah. the, 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 i suppose the creativity is definitely there yes and if, even if you have like several of his games, and even if he re- reuses some of the the mechanisms, even so, the game doesn't feel repetitive at all. No, it's no. not like you you're playing the same game with a different theme or something like this. It always gives you a different experience. So yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I have to agree, hundred percent. I I can't think of a single Rana Kinitsia game that I've played that feels exactly like a carbon copy of another. So yeah, yeah. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yes, and I have some uh, games on my pile as well that I, I didn't have the chance to put on the table yet, but I'm very excited about. So one is Mechanical uh, Mechanical Beast. Okay, yeah. Uh, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, I think this is the one I want to see more in, in table. And of course, we were talking about uh, uh, Rai and S, SDR games mm-hmm, just yeah. before we started. So I'm also really hyped to play uh, Earth Rising as well from, from them. Like, can't wait to receive the the, the, the copy. <laughs> oh, I, I could be really cruel because I, I have a prototype prototype copy on on the shelf. Oh, in fact, God. it's it's literally right next to me here. Like. <laughs> oh yeah, that's there. Yeah. So very very grateful to uh, to Ria and um, and to Laurie for for letting me have that. Yes. Uh, yes. To play a really really good game. I, I can't wait for the official game to turn up because obviously this is a very very early copy. Um, but yeah, I'm super super excited for that game to turn up as well yeah. so. nice yes very very good have you played um any of their other any of their other games obviously they did uh pugs and mugs and i think uh, uh, Rhea is currently working their, on one as well yeah i played one of the the, the ones they are working on now mm-hmm. i have done some play testing uh hedgehop yeah. and hooligans I mean, is that it yes exactly. that's the one yeah that's the one super fun game as well yes yeah, my my uh, my partner and I played that at Games Expo, and she she loved it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it it's always good when uh, the partner likes a game, and she was like, "Oh, when that comes on Kickstarter, you're backing that one." I was like, "Well, I, I didn't need you to tell me that, but I'm I'm going to do it anyway." But uh, yeah, now that I've got your blessing, that's always good. <laughs> that's always good. That's true. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, a little while ago about. You know the, uh, that uh, you did it. Was it a role play that was cyberpunk theme? And and we know that your new game that's coming up for Kickstarter soon is cyberpunk theme. Is that a theme that you particularly like? Because uh, obviously you've done multiple games for it now. And you know, do you feel that theme within game games are is a vital part? Hmm. Yeah. First of all, I absolutely love cyberpunk. Uh, I'm very happy 
that cyberpunk uh, universes and theme and style are kind of coming back yeah because yep. i i really like it and to be honest i really like the uh repagination we are seeing with cyberpunk as well because mm -hmm. it's a it's a different kind of cyberpunk if you compare it like i don't know uh, blade runner or something like that so it's it's amazing and i really really enjoy this thing the main reason for that is that i, I believe that cyberpunk is a very big theme. It, uh, it allows you to talk about almost anything. Yeah, yeah. It's about uh, a society that is almost like ours, but with some like differences, very small differences. So it's very good to like make social critique and also to talk about different types of technologies and how yeah. they influence our our day-to-day uh, -day lives and stuff like that. So I really enjoy uh, Cyberpunk. I think it's amazing um but as for themed in themes in general i think it's very important i i really feel that a theme gives like the color mm. uh, to your game even if you have abstract games um you still need to give it some life yeah with some yeah. theme. so uh there is this game called luck i don't know if you have played it i haven't actually played that no yeah, it's a really cool game. So basically, every player starts in a corner and you have like a chip with a number from yep. one to six on it. And in your turn, you can decide to uh, add another chip that must be away from one of your other chips, a number of spaces equal to the number on, on the chip that is on the, the table. Basically. Okay. So so basically, you're just spreading around your your chips and you want to occupy certain areas in the board that they call rooms. And the game is very abstract, but the very light thing that they put there is that it's a game about light. Mm -hmm. So every time you put something inside a room, it means you're lighting the room with that color and stuff like this. So you want to have more points, although so and, and then having more of your light color inside that room to make points to kind of control that room in the end. So it's okay. very, the theme is very light, but very, so very, very cool. And I think it gives the, the right amount of uh, color to the, the game. As yeah. Well. So I, in general, I'm, I'm very, I, I don't require theme to play a game, but uh, when you have that feeling that the mechanisms and the, the things in the theme, they are going together, the game kind of clicks for me so it's yeah. uh, really so and that's the, that's the case for root for example yes root clicks amazingly all the stuff with the, the goes super good with the all the mechanisms go super good with the the team as well i think like root especially like i mean you're, you're preaching to the choir i absolutely love Root. it's one of my favorite <laughs> games of all time at, the, at this point well i haven't played it for a long time there was a period that i played it just religiously and it's it's one of those things like the, the the theme never gets boring. The mechanics of that game never get boring. You know the asymmetry of it is just absolutely fantastic. I have the utmost sympathy for for the designers of that game yes, and and the indeed. the hell that they must have gone through to balance all of those games and then the expansions as well. It's I can't just, even I can't even imagine that. It's no, crazy. No. <laughs> It doesn't matter who I talk to, like gamers and that, and, and then you sort of say, "Oh yeah, no, it's it's a really really good game. It's, it can't, be, you know, it's really cool to design." It's like, yeah, but 
you say it's cool to design, but do you really think it is? Imagine having to sit down and play all of those factions against all of the other factions in every possible combination and then think of the future because the game yeah. has already become a success. It's like, you know you're going to be pestered for expansions and expansions and expansions. You've got to play test all of that as well. It's like you, you've, you've created a game that is never going to go anywhere and you're never going to see the back of it. <laughs> it's kind of like, I guess, like Elizabeth Hargraves is like, I know she likes birds, but you know, the question is, does she like birds as much as she did <laughs> Well, <laughs> before creating Wingspan? Well, well uh, yeah, I can relate to that. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I really, um, Root, absolutely fantastic game. You know, for, for me, theme is, is huge. So I think theme to me is what sells a game. You know, as yeah. I, when I'm looking in a shop and I, and I want to purchase games, it's like I'm looking at the theme of the game. I'm not thinking about the game mechanics. But obviously, once once I've got the game, it then switches to being well. What are the mechanics like? I so, see. is that something that that you assimilate to? Do you find that when you've got the game, it's all about the mechanics, or do you still find that the theme is more important? Yeah, for me, I kind of do the, the opposite path because I I normally look for types of games, meaning mechanics, so okay, mecha- yeah. mechanics-wise, that I like. For example, I I'm, I really like uh, engine-building games. Mm-hmm. So if I see someone saying, okay, this is an engine-building game, I have to look at it. Okay. And then, okay, fine. Uh, maybe I don't like the theme that much, and then, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't want another game with, uh, I don't know, Cthulhu theme again. Theme again. So yeah, yeah. Uh, let's uh, just choose uh, some others. And also, there are some themes that I I don't appreciate appreciate as much nowadays. That I I, I will not say I avoid it, but mm. I I mean if I have a choice. Then well, maybe I will choose something else I don't know, or something like that. Yeah, okay. Like um, for example, um, medieval fantasy uh, mm-hmm. games. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I've been uh, many times around the block, and I mean, so for me, the theme is very old now. I yeah. I really can't uh, can't play much more games like there are. It's, it's kind of a theme that's a dime a dozen, isn't it? Like there, there's there's loads of them. Like yes. no matter which way you look in a game store, there'll be a at least exactly. three or four different games that have that theme. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I would say the same for zombie uh, themed games. Yes. Uh, I I used to love the theme for movies, for uh, TV shows, for everything. But at some point, it was like, okay, we have reached the it's saturation. <laughs> There's nothing else. Yeah. Is that saturation point completely? Yes. Nah, that's that's fair. I mean, it's. I think this is another reason why when um, when we first started chatting and you were talking to me about the game and you know the the, the theme being cyberpunk. Was just sort of like okay, there, there's a few cyberpunk games out there, but it's not a game, you know, it's not a theme to a game that I'm seeing every day, you know. So that definitely intrigued me straight away. It's like okay, cool. Well, I know my partner likes cyberpunk. This is a theme that I'm not going to be inundated with constantly, you know. I think, as you said, cyberpunk seems to be coming a bit more popular ever since the release of the uh the computer game um which i mean i I didn't play it but i heard all the stories that you know people were waiting years for it and then it was basically not completed (laughs) but uh (laughs) i mean i've i've it makes me laugh because the fact that you can do that with a pc game 
or or a you know a, a PlayStation game. Can you imagine releasing a board game that isn't finished? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, oh yeah, it's early access board game. Yeah, we'll send you most of it. <laughs> yeah, like, you're gonna receive some dice. You can do much with that, but uh, yeah, create create yeah. your own scenarios, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, are you uh, are you a computer gamer as well, or uh, do, do you stick solely for the tabletop? No, no, I, I play computer games as well. Uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven included. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, one of the players of the first tabletop RPG in the same universe, so okay. Cyberpunk twenty twenty. So I was basically waiting, I don't know, seventeen years for this uh, <laughs> game to to show up in the in the end. So I I didn't get any super buggy uh, versions because i i waited i, uh, I didn't install like in the first day right. so i waited maybe i don't know three months and then i i installed and everything was much better at yeah. least in the in the pc and to be very honest i played a lot but i haven't finished the game yet because i don't want to okay i don't want the, the story to end there's so many things you can do so many uh, uh, side quests you can follow and the universe content is so rich that I, I just can't uh, finish the game. I just want to stay there <laughs> forever or until they, they launch another one then I can finish this and jump on the yeah. other one. So I don't know. I but mean, yeah, but I'm a computer player as well. Yeah, nice. I mean, that's pretty good I suppose. Like, again, I've I've not played the game but the fact that you've been able to drag it out this long and not finish yeah. the game. It does just say that actually maybe that game is a bit underrated and, you know, the mistake of releasing it just that little bit too early before fixing the bugs has, has hindered it that much. Cause whenever, you know, I stopped playing PlayStation games a long, a long time ago because I got fed up with the fact that I could complete the game in an afternoon, mm-hmm. you know, and they just, for the money that you were paying, it just didn't feel like you were getting enough of it. Whereas from what you're saying about uh, the Cyberpunk game is maybe there is enough content in there to justify how expensive yeah, I, the games were. Yeah, I, I think there is. I mean, the game is super well made and the, it's so immersive. And of course, it gets more and more immersive as you have new mods mm. and as you have new releases, new uh, updates for the game. So I, I think it's a, it's a gorgeous game. I, I would recommend anyone to play it because it's really amazing. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean, it's probably a game I will check out at some point. I'd imagine, but nice. uh, mo- most of my time is either taken up running gaming clubs, recording a- the podcast, or sleeping. Well, <laughs> time well spent, I would say. Obviously, yeah. We have to throw in that there's a full time job in there as well, and I have a son that I have to look after as well. But you know, the, the important things were mentioned first. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So you uh, obviously you mentioned that. You used to design games for your your friends and the family. Are, are they all heavy into games, or was that just sort of enabling you because you, it was something that you wanted to do? Yeah, my my friends are pretty much uh, yeah heavy gamers. I would say uh, at least like the closest one, the ones that I uh, have closer and for for longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we all have played like uh, video games and tabletop RPGs and even of course board games when I started uh, playing them more so yeah definitely family not so much I would say my mom and my uh, younger sister were more into it but still yeah yeah that's fair that's fair I mean my family are I mean, my son enjoys 
enjoys games, but he's not. I don't know. I mean, he's he's nine years old now, and he's he's not super keen on getting into the more in depth stuff. You know, he he likes playing the the sort of very family friendly younger kids games. You know, he, he does enjoy those, but um. I think I, I'm on holiday next week to spend the entire half term with him, which so we, we'll probably get a good, decent amount of gaming in. But you know, I, I don't see me breaking out Ark Nova with him anytime soon. You know, yeah. <laughs> but bit... Does your son go to you? Go with you to the board gaming clubs and stuff like that? Um, he does when he's with me. Like he doesn't actually live with me, unfortunately, as mm-hmm. much as I would love him to. But when when he's down with me, he will usually come along. Nice, um, nice. And, and he does enjoy it. Uh, but again, yeah. that, that tends to be the nights that we're playing the family-friendly games. <laughs> yeah, because uh, some of those uh, friends of mine that used to play RPGs with me like long time ago, uh, they have kids now. And mm. it's so amazing to see like how they're so proud to, to tell me, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm bringing my son to an RPG table now, yeah. or I'm uh, game mastering for a group that has my kid on it. So I think this is amazing. I don't have kids, but uh, I think this would be like a super cool, like yeah. like kind of going full circle. I was playing RPGs and I'm uh, game mastering games to my <laughs> son or, son or daughter. So yeah, I think nice. it would be great. I was actually chatting with one of my members uh, last night, actually, because our, our local friendly local game store now has a regular role play campaigns for kids and and he was telling me about a particular story that he'd done and a character called wallace had had managed to do something and it you know he said he'd done something and he was getting heavily rewarded for it and the whole all the kids were like but he didn't do anything he didn't do it so you know Uh he he sort of did the the really good dm thing as like he adapted the story and then ended up killing off wallace later and made all the kids cheer (laughs) and it was just sort of like that's really good to hear because you know these are kids that are sort of seven eight nine ten all that sort of age it's like that you know what that is without the fear of sounding very old that is the next generation of gamers right there yeah but the army, yes you know while while i'm not hugely into role play games myself that is definitely lovely to see because they will explore the hobby you know, they may yes. well stick with just role play games, but they will explore board games. They'll explore war games and card games and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just another, I guess, another gateway into the hobby. So definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. absolutely. Definitely I, I, cool. I think it's vitally important. You know, um, I'm very old school with my son when he's with me. It's like, yep, no computers, none of that. You don't sit and watch TV all day with me. We we play games we do painting drawing all that kind of stuff it's like no i was brought up without a tv and i i think i respect it i respect things a lot more i mean i was telling you before we went live how much i hate technology (laughs) yeah yeah no indeed i think uh i don't i don't like to spend much time in front of tv as well i mean it's okay if uh, some people like to watch shows and stuff like that i think it's fine um i spend some time doing it as well of course but i i feel more rewarded doing some other stuff for yeah sure. yeah I just, I, it's just something like you said uh, it's a bit more rewarding playing something like a board game especially if you win yeah. you know <laughs> that's yeah. always good or, or or even like reading because of course uh, yeah it's it's very close to like watching tv but it's more active because you are actually doing it right you need to keep pulling pulling the the, the story to your to yeah you, like, you're uh, sort of you're, you're engaging your imagination rather than having exactly. the your imagination dictated for you exactly so yeah, yeah. I, I 
I, I mean, I'm bad. I, I should read more. I, I'm the first to admit this. Uh, my partner seems to think I don't read at all. I mean, granted, I don't. Re- I don't read a book in front of uh, in front of her, for example. But you know, like for example, once we finish chatting, and I'll be going up to bed before I go to work tomorrow. I will sit in bed and read for probably about yeah. half an hour, um, just to sort of make my eyes tired. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. And I do yeah. enjoy that. So I think more people should do that. <laughs> cool. So uh, we've skirted about it a little bit. Would you like to talk about your new game? Yes, of course, always. So, Hyper Wars is uh, is I believe it's called. You you told me that it was on Kickstarter before, but for yes. whatever reason, it, it either didn't fund or you cancelled the campaign. But it is coming back to Kickstarter, That's and I'm correct, yeah. looking forward to it. Would you like to tell us exactly what is Hyper Wars? Definitely, yes. Um, so yeah, Hyper Wars is a real time game. And uh, I normally start with that because I know many people don't like uh, real-time games, mm-hmm. which is fine. Yeah. I'm, to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of real-time games as well. <laughs> I like them, but I'm not like super huge fan. Yeah. Um, but oh, so yeah, so it is a real-time game, and it has a cyberpunk uh, theme, as we already said, and it's a very fast-paced game. Okay. So the game takes in total to play. Uh, like the actual action phase and the scoring, it takes between 10 and 15 minutes to play. Mm -hmm. However, the action phase where stuff actually happens, where you can actually influence the the outcome of the game, it's only five minutes on a timer. Okay, yeah. And the timer is a very important part of that because you need to feel the pressure. The game is all about pressure. So you play as one of those corporations, and you can think about this like one of those Blade Runner corporations. Uh, and every player is a different corporation. And in the, on the table, you have uh, several small boards. Each board represents a district in a city. Nice. And your objective as a corporation is to try and take control of as many districts as you can. And to do this, you need basically two things. You need to be able to, you, you need to be the player with most agents, which are like like small meeples, uh, on on a board, one, one of the districts, at the end of the five minutes. Also, uh, besides that, you also need to fulfill the district with exactly the demand of resources that that district wants. So in the lore of the game, you can think of this like a corporation that is trying to secure uh, a given uh, uh, location in the city to be able to sell their illicit products to people in that district. Mm -hmm. So you have like the back alley, you have the uh, market, you have like a junkyard. So all places where you can go with your agents. And at the end of the five minutes, the player with more agents in, in each of the districts will try first to fulfill the demand. And if they can do that exactly, then you get certain amount of points. And then all the other players that also have agents in the same district, they can also try to fulfill the demand. And if they also can, they get points, but less than you. So that's kind of the, the deal of the okay. game. You need to be able, because of course you have uh, a finite number of resources because you only have as many, uh, so much uh, uh, agents or meeples. Um, and of course, you can only produce so much goods, so you need to be able to balance this to all the, the districts. And it seems to be quite simple if it was not a real-time game. So it is a area control real-time game, 
which means that you don't have exactly time to take it in and see what your opponents are doing because the clock's ticking. So you just need to rush to this and be able to, to put the, your agent and then your resources in every district. Um, so it kind of gives you a, a sort of tunnel vision because you cannot see anyone else because you cannot really pay attention to everyone playing. And there is one key aspect to the game, which is one of the main mechanics of the game, which is the way you play the game. The action model of the game is a uh, card. So you have cards, action cards, and you have three different types of actions. One that allows you to add the agents, the meeples, to your uh, district. One that allows you to produce goods and one that allows you to distribute goods around uh, the different districts. And every time you play a card, you pass that card to the next player on your right. So it's just like you pass the card to the player on your right. And then, of course, you're going to start receiving cards from the player on your left. So there will be a flow of cards around the table. And there are there is a central deck from where you can draw more cards. So you can increase the amount of cards going in circle in this game. And after the main action, after we score all the points, sorry, we finish the timer, we score points for each of the districts, and then you're going to lose points based on how many cards you still have in your hands. So basically, you're playing two games there. You need to balance like, okay, I need to do my stuff well enough so I get points, but I cannot allow my, my... decisions to be too slow because i'm gonna start piling up cards and at the end i will lose points because of that so it becomes super fast it becomes a very very um intense game so much that i had to slice the game in different uh, rule levels so the game has five levels of difficulty Uh, it starts very very simple and then it goes up and up and up until you have more components and more uh, mechanics and so on uh, stuff that can even decide the, the, decide the fate of the um, of the scoring phase. So you can start influence the the outcome even during the scoring phase. But it's always five minutes, so it gets more and more tight, more and more intense until you, you hit level five. Very good. I've got to admit, I'm quite intrigued. Like I said, I'm not a huge real-time player fan. However, that does actually sound pretty good. I like the fact that during that sort of five-minute timer, you are essentially playing a solitaire game. You're not really seeing what else is going on. But then you've got the player influence of, like you said, cards coming in, yes, cards exactly. going out. Um, so you, you might sort of sit there going, oh, well, I really want to use this, but if I do that, then I'm going to have to yes. give it to them and yeah. they're going to be able to do something but do i really care because i don't actually know what's going <laughs> yeah. on over there <laughs> i think there, there, there'll be a lot of things going on in, in the brain which i think is going to be cool um you know it's one thing with real-time games you you tend to see the i guess frustration and enjoyment on people's <laughs> face at yeah. the same time which is always good that fun. definitely happens in hyperwars yeah <laughs> no that's good and i like the fact that you mentioned that the a typical game is 10 to 15 minutes so we are actually talking about um i guess would you deem it as a filler game i would uh, define it exactly as a filler game so that's even how me and my friends do it when we have like a game night or something someone says okay let's play hyper wars first mm-hmm. while we are waiting for food or waiting for someone else to come then we play a few rounds and yeah. that's that so that's exactly where it fits in my table normally. And I think it's a, a great option also to uh, kind of warm up because when you finish like your maybe second uh, run of the game or third, you are super pumped 
there's enough drone for you to play whatever game comes your way now so um, yeah nice i would say probably may- maybe not an end of the game night then when you're trying yeah, to wind uh, down. yeah maybe not <laughs> i don't know if you're trying to wind <laughs> down then no no don't play hyper wars because it's gonna get you back to the, <laughs> the highest level of the in- intention so yeah and uh, i forgot to mention the player count of course it's uh, two to five players so you can play up to five and when it's five okay. players it's super chaotic but uh, still quite nice i'm interested to try it at five i like it nice, when someone says chaotic nice. so <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my mo with the game is like oh, can, can i cause chaos or is the game chaotic enough <laughs> yes i will play cool. it <laughs> but no a game like hyper wars you expect it to have like a, a, a nice fast pace and then it sounds like uh, like you've managed to achieve that so how long have you been working on the game so i worked on the game for two years from 2018 to 2020 okay uh and i I had exactly the, the, the purpose you just mentioned. I wanted to give people this um, feeling of tension, of mm. something urgent is gonna, something's gonna happen uh, if I don't do something right now, if I don't act right now. So that was the, the whole deal the whole time. So uh, there's actually a interesting story because Hyperwars, the feeling of Hyperwars, I, I got from a video game. Okay. So, there is a video game called um, Towerfall Ascension. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have heard of this. It's a super cool game. It's like a couch uh, competitive game. You cannot play online. You have to have your friends with you in the same Old TV. school. It's very old school. Exactly. <laughs> but of course, the theme has nothing to do with Hyper Wars. It's basically a game about archers throwing arrows at each other. Yep. And the last player standing wins the round. And then you have several rounds and so on. But the feeling that something is going to happen every second is super nice. So you, 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 end, you end the game very pumped, you, you, like super good. And I wanted to give, I was thinking, okay, is it possible to have the same feeling, but in a board game? Can I actually do this happen in a board game? So this was the, the, the first thing that came to me when I decided to create uh, Hyperwars. And uh, I said, okay, I'll, I'll take the challenge. Let's see if I can make this happen. So that's exactly uh, how I did it. And of course, I, I had to change a lot of things. For example, the slicing it in five different rule levels. Yep. Because the, the first time I played with my friends, I came with a full game, like everything on it, like uh, a lot of mechanics and stuff going on. And I just fried their brains. They were like, yeah. okay, I'm never going to play this game ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. And I was like, okay, I, I, I understand. I I really screwed this, so let's let's fix it. And then I by slicing it in different rule levels and allow for a better learning curve, it became much more uh, manageable for yeah. sure. I mean, I guess that's uh, ultimately the point of playtesting, isn't it? Really, because you, yeah, you've exactly. you've playtested the game, they've gone uh no yes and it's like okay cool i've learned something from this back to the drawing board let's let's work on this i've now spliced it up into five different things oh yeah that's much better um and then it enables them to focus on the game itself and then you know potentially find other things that may may not work whereas you know before there was that barrier they might not have seen those other things because it was like no no it's just too much going on exactly but i but i think that's a, a key part of game development really and the thing is that i i started play testing the game maybe two weeks after i created it like oh, the wow. first time so i just had like some i don't know meeples i got from from carcassonne and i had a map that i printed home and then i don't know 
I just got something and I had some ideas uh, and then I put it on the table like two weeks after I created it. Mm. I, I think this was very good. So the process was um, very important, especially in the second year when the game was uh, much more in shape. And then throughout 2020, I tested a lot with a virtual test, uh, test group mm. um, called virtual play testing. So okay. It's, you know, over Discord. So it's super. It was super good. Like the the game improved a lot, especially because many of the the, the people there they are game designers as well. Play testing with game designers is super cool. I was gonna say, I'd imagine that when you're play testing with get other game designers, they're sort of in a similar mindset. They're looking for what they would do in a game and may and maybe sort of have their own suggestions and their, their creativity is obviously geared towards the same thing as yourself so i'd imagine that's always quite handy exactly yeah and of course you have so many different types of uh, uh, game designers as well right so some people will pay a lot of attention to how your mechanics uh, connect to your theme and some people will analyze your mechanics like deep down they will say okay this doesn't work because of that yeah and so yeah, that's truly really amazing. It's yeah. super, it's a very good exercise. How did you find the difference between playtesting in a physical form and and the digital form? Because I'm guessing when you did the digital stuff, that was one, because you wanted to do it with the other designers, but I'm guessing you said 2020. Was that in and around the time that the world decided to shut shut its doors and we were forced to do everything over the computer? Precisely that, yeah, exactly. It was mostly because of COVID. I mean, I love to play test over uh, a tabletop simulator or other tools. Uh, but in the end, for Hyper Wars, it helped a lot when I played with other designers because they can kind of understand the situation uh, I am in when I put a real-time game over TTS. Because mm. ultimately, Hyper Wars is also, of course, a dexterity game, right? You need to, like pass cards you need to take yeah. stuff from the middle of the table and distribute over the different districts and you have to do it fast yeah so uh, it became it becomes a, a, a dexterity game super fast yeah. and in the end this is kind of uh, not super good yeah I, I can imagine i mean i'm guessing you were using the likes of tabletop simulator which you know yeah, while, while they simulator. serve their purpose and they really helped a lot of gamers throughout uh, the lockdowns and stuff they are very very clunky you know they don't work particularly well and and the thought of playing a real-time game where time is a pressure and then having to oh i'm having to work around the, the god-awful like mechanics of of tabletop simulator for example while trying to be as fast as i can I, I would get the feeling that what i might be able to do in the physical game wouldn't be anywhere near what i was able to achieve in, in the digital game you know for the worse exactly. You know, yeah, I reckon yeah, exactly. the physical, I would do much better, but... Yeah, because uh, even like super small, super small details, for example, uh, in Hyper Wars, when you play the card, you play it face up. Mm-hmm. So you know exactly what action you are doing. And then when you pass to the, the player on your right, you pass it face down. Of course, yeah. Because then this marks that you're not, you're no longer using that card. Yeah. And although it's obviously possible to do this in Tabletop Simulator, it it makes a dent on the time you spend to do stuff. Of course, so, yeah. Uh, Especially if you don't know the system and the key card, yeah, the key exactly, shortcuts. Exactly. So something that is quite trivial when you do it on the table, it's a whole different skill set when you do it over mm. uh, TTS, for example. So uh, I had to do a lot of adaptations 
to allow players to have a better experience playing Hyperwars over Tabletop Simulator. But that is also the, the clear reason why I never had it on Tabletop Simulator for, for my players to play by themselves. Mm. For example, uploading it to the Steam Workshop or something like this. Uh, I had never done that because I know this was hurting the the fun in the game. So yeah, yeah. So it wouldn't give people a, an accurate representation about what the correct. game actually will be. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So I think that's um, that's not a unique thing to to real time games. I think a lot of games suffer. Like, oh, well, I played this for the first time on tabletop soon. It was rubbish. Uh-huh. So, yeah, but yeah. until you play it physically, you don't know that a game is rubbish. You know. It's very, very different. Yeah. You know, there's there's a reason that out of choice I don't play uh, Tabletop Simulator. I think um, Board Game Arena is becoming very, very good. You know, yeah. now that it's, I think it's owned by Asmodee as far as I'm aware. So it's getting the investment it needs. But again, it's not the same as playing playing in person. Yes, yeah. so. I have played many games over uh, Board Game Arena as well. And I don't know, some, some games I really enjoy playing there mm. because sometimes it removes the... Uh, the clutter of the things like it's just clicking buttons now it's much much yes. easier to play uh, i can't remember a, a good example now but uh, ah, uh castles of burgundy so yep. i love that game but handling all the tiles in the physical uh, version is crazy it's crazy everything gets out of place yeah. all the time so it's yeah it's very very hard the uh, the key thing i find is it's amazing when you when you play something online in real time on board game arena and you can do a game in say 35 40 minutes and yet you play that exact same game with those exact same players in person and that game suddenly takes two hours (laughs) and the only thing that's different is that you're having to do the you know the upkeep and and the moving stuff and things like that is like it's amazing how much time it saves just by having a computer do all of the tedious yes, work yes, exactly. for you. Exactly. So there, there, is, there are some benefits to it. And that's kind of the same reason why I, I love games that uh, include uh, uh, mobile apps on them. So uh, I really enjoy this uh, type of, like, uh, let's say, um, guide or uh, mm. helper that uh, yeah. allows you to do, for example, Mentions of Madness. I used to play the first edition with no mm-hmm. uh, mobile app. And then when they did the second edition, it's a huge improvement. I, I mm. can't even say how much the game got better. So, yeah. I think uh, especially games that have a thematic nature as well, where they actually pay out good money to have like the voice actors and stuff oh, as well, yeah, it really sure. adds, to, adds to a game. While I'm, again, I'm not a huge fan of any kind of technology at the table when I'm playing board games, there are certain games where it's like, no, this, this does work. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm the first to admit that. No, I mean, of course, I, I don't mean that uh, if it's just a gimmick, I don't think it makes much sense, to be honest. But uh, if it no. can improve the experience, then I guess it's worth it. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about prototyping just a little bit before we uh, yes. before we move on. So you obviously mentioned that your very first prototype you, you got up and built pretty quickly. I, I'm taking it you went fully DIY on that one other than stealing meeples out of Carcassonne and Definitely. stuff like that. Do you do you prefer the idea of doing everything DIY? Because obviously now there's, there's companies out there that you can obviously pay to make a an actual copy of of a of a prototype game. Yeah. Uh, have you done that, or do you, do you just favor the DIY? That's a 
very interesting question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course, I, I I think if you if you start doing prototypes with some company straight away, it's going to be super expensive because yeah. there will be a lot of uh, iterations and you need to change the game uh, many of course, times. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I normally use like a regular paper printer at home. Uh, my my wife uh, is a huge fan of three D printers, so okay, yeah, we have like four three D printers home. Uh, lady after my own heart. Lady, I mean, you you can't see them from the screen, but I, I can I can see all mine. Just uh, yeah, so <laughs> just all along the wall. Yeah, so we kind of have the same here, and then like. Uh, so I started printing my uh, uh, my game components from those 3D printers, like uh, from the from the get go. So when I need something that is more elaborate, then definitely I will go for uh, the 3D printers before I do something else. Of course. Um, but then, for example, for Hyper Wars, when when I had the rules well defined, when I wanted to start marketing the game, the first thing I did was a uh, review prototype. So, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, then you get super good quality uh, of uh, components in general. Um, yeah. And of course, I 3D printed the ones I, I, I couldn't get. For example, I don't know, uh, I have those, the resources in, in Hyperwars, they are little boxes. So mm-hmm. I, I have a friend that knows about modeling, 3D modeling. So he made this model of a crate and then I printed that. And it's amazing. And that's why I want to bring this to the to the final version as yeah. well, because uh, it plays so nice and it uh, looks so great in the in the game. So um, yeah. so of course uh, there is always this, but there are different moments, right? So at the very first moment, I still like to have some sort of art on the on the prototype. I don't like to like just have a blank sheet and then start uh, drawing on it or make a number and say, course, okay, yeah. imagine this is a warrior and this is just a number one. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, okay, that doesn't fly for me. I, I really don't like that. So don't, I, don't favor the stick man art then. No. Yeah, it's exactly. It's stick men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I get some art from the internet just for my uh, prototypes and then I, I of course, put yeah. something together. Uh, something that being a game designer taught me a lot is uh, how to to use a uh, image editing program for example so yeah that's not something i do on my day-to-day work but it's something i i have uh, learned a lot to work with because because of being a game designer so uh, and then of course i do the initial prototypes i use a lot of card sleeves for example because then i can i don't have to print on uh, um, thicker Paper. I can just course, go with yeah. like regular yeah. paper and I just replace it. So these kind of things. And then I just strip every game I don't want to play anymore or I have a bunch of other <laughs> and then I use all the parts. So I used to play Magic the Gathering like 10 years ago. So nowadays yeah. all my Magic the Gathering cards, they are uh, they, they, they work for my prototypes like all the time. I'm always like sticking stuff on them and putting them inside the sleeves to help hold the the paper cards and so on nice nice so i think that's uh that's got to be one of the most fun parts i, I guess of, of designing a game and actually diying what is ultimately a real bodge job of a game you know exactly. taking cards from magic the gathering and putting them in <laughs> sleeves and then just a bit of paper in front of it for yes, example yes, that's yes. But that's really good but you you did definitely touch on something there with the with the 3d printers do you think that that might actually really help any future game designers like 
if they get to the point where they think their game is is ready to be play tested properly, would it be worth them like actually investing in a not a cheap cheap printer because I I would say that the cheap cheap ones are probably more hassle than they're worth, but you know a little bit of money just to sort of help with components rather than paying someone else to do it all for you. Yeah, luckily the three D printers they are getting cheaper and cheaper so it's mm. uh, it's been a very good investment at least for me it has told it's totally worth it because yeah. i i print so many things on on that thing nowadays and uh, even if like as you said the cheaper cheaper ones like the pla uh, plastic type of thing that of course yeah. you cannot yeah. do a super fine resolution miniature or something like this mm. but still works super fine if you want to make like cubes and um, exactly small yeah, different yeah. form so it works perfectly and definitely is gonna uh, up your game in 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 regards to prototypes every time i bring a prototype to like let's say uh, our local game store uh, to play with people there everyone is always like amused like did you do this and i was like yeah sure but it's just a 3d printed stuff it's not like something of course yeah uh, it took me and of course there's like thousands and thousands of uh, free models on the internet that you can even download and, and print yourself. Yep. So that's yep. super, um, super, super easy to do. And I, I think it's totally worth it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't say enough good things about uh, what 3D printing has, has done for the hobby as a general yeah thing you know we're war gamers they're playing with fully 3d 3d printed armies at a third of the cost yes. you know which you know it's, it's always been one of those things that everyone's always argued with me back when i was a war gamer like, oh i'd love to get into it but it's just too expensive okay cool well that's not really an argument anymore True. yeah because you know you don't have to walk into your local games workshop or warhammer store and spend 300 pounds you can spend i don't know 50 quid yeah on a, b- a bottle of resin and a hundred pounds on a on a half decent miniature printer, and the only real investment you have then is is time. Exactly, it's you know, it's like well, if you're happy to just print them, print them, print them, give it a week, and you've got that exact same army at half of the cost. Yeah, but then when you want to upgrade and have another army or more units, well, it's you've already paid for the machine. Yeah. So now it's just the cost of the resin or the plastic or whatever it be. So, yeah, 3D printing for the win, I think. I also think about how much this uh, this kind of machine will change the, the hobby from the production perspective as well. So, for yes. example, having uh, games that you only buy the, let's say, paper, uh, cardboard and paper parts, uh, yep. and then you print the, the rest, for example. You receive models yeah. and you can print in your local hub or... Uh, at your place if you have a 3d printer and stuff like this uh i i think this is a very interesting um change for for our industry in in the near future i guess i i I would i mean if you'd asked me a couple of years ago i would have said maybe not the near future i definitely would say it was the future but with what we've been through over the past couple of years and, and how shipping obviously went yeah. absolutely extortionately expensive and, and has come down, but not to what it was post-pandemic levels, you know, it's going to stay there now. Let's be honest. It's not. It's probably not going to return to where it was. So, game, you know, the big miniature heavy games that you would see on Kickstarter, I've said it a few times now, is that I, I think we're at an, a point, a junction, in in the hobby where 
you will still get some companies that will do your miniatures, but I can also see, as you said, maybe a separate pledge level that says, we'll send you all the cardboard and the box, but pay us X amount for the miniature files and you print them at home. Yeah. You know, and I think I, I do... I mean, I think there's been a couple of Kickstarters recently that have done just that. It's like, look, yeah. we'll make the miniatures for you, but just so you know, you're going to pay through the nose mm-hmm. for it. Exactly. Whereas you could just buy this and either if you haven't got a 3D printer, pay someone close to home to do it for you or buy yourself a printer and do it and it will still be cheaper. Yeah. I'm, I met a guy in UKG in 2019 and he was actually bringing up a game to Kickstarter that was basically that. The whole game, including the board, were all 3D printed. Mm. So it was a, a sort of um, war game or um, combat uh, style I think, game. do you know what? I think I remember it. I can't for the life of me remember the yeah, name. Yeah, I'm trying it, to remember the name now, but I really can't. Uh, no. And it was uh, super interesting. I think the company, his company was called Plastic Alchemy, I think. And it, that definitely rings a bell. Yeah, so it was a very, very interesting project. And it was exactly like this. You could have the miniatures produced for you and sent mm. in a, one of the pledge levels. But definitely the, the most valuable one was like, okay, you just get the files and you print the whole game. You're going to receive like some stuff, uh, but it's going to definitely be a, a 3D printable game, which I think is amazing, to be honest. I think it's very, yeah. very interesting idea. I mean, I definitely use mine for upgrading my games, you know, yeah, for I component upgrades and stuff. Like Root is probably one of my most upgraded games. Yeah. Um, I have made I'm still the, fighting the urge to, to print miniatures for that, I must admit. Yeah, I have made the, um, the organizer for Root, so yeah. I can fit all the 10 uh, factions in one single box. Fine. Nice. So uh, yeah. we can do that. So it's really, really nice. Uh, and again, that that's another thing that I think is fantastic, especially with the plastic ones, Yeah, uh, is that, you know, there are some games that I look at on my shelf and sort of go, God, I wish there was a box insert for that, you know, because the one that comes in it is rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. I could be willing to bet I could I could just sign on, go on Thingiverse, type in game name, box insert, and someone would have done it, you know. And it, I can download it for free, set it off on the printer, and then within a week I've got my yeah, my box yeah, insert, and cool. my game is suddenly well organized and not falling apart when it's sat on my Calax. <laughs> so, so yeah, three uh, D printing, fantastic. I've I've it's a, it's actually a discussion I want to have on the podcast at some point in the future with. Uh, with James and a, and a few of the other members of uh, the community to sort of, you know, really see what people's opinions are of of 3D printing and where where it's going. Yeah, so. that's a really cool topic. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah, it will happen at some point. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> invite me over. I'm still trying again. to get James to buy one. Invite me over again, and I can discuss a lot about uh, how 3D printers can, can help <laughs> us. Yeah, I'm I'm sure we can uh, we can arrange for nice. that to happen. <laughs> So uh, I guess one more thing before we before I let you go because I've I've kept you here for an hour already. How have you found the design process? And then more importantly, with your upcoming Kickstarter, how have you found the build up to that Kickstarter? Is it a stressful experience or is it just excitement building and and knowing that you know you're going to get a game out there? So yeah, the design process is uh, I found it was super 
interesting because I mean mm-hmm. you you are exposed to all kinds of opinions. For example, when you play test your game, you are exposed to all kinds of uh, different interests from people and so on. So even the the process of learning to take feedback and yeah. adapting your game to that feedback, if you want to do so, uh, is amazing. That that alone is already a great learning experience for me. Uh, yeah. Super nice. Um, but of course, uh, designing games is uh, one of my favorite things to do. And uh, it's always very pleasant to get the game on the table and see people playing your game and having fun. And I mean, I have a day job as well. I don't make any money with uh, board games. I actually lose money, a lot of money with board games. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand that. They, they sort of see these behemoth Kickstarters that make millions and millions and millions. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, granted, that's, that is a lot of money, but you're not taking into account the cost to make it. Exactly, the, yeah. the, the, the time that that person has put into designing it, they've essentially made that game for less than minimum wage yes exactly. you know that has been a pure passion project that's uh, definitely the case for me so it's very uh, a passion thing i i really enjoy having people play my games which i mean it's probably not coming across as a as a um, shock now that i said that I, I made games for my family and friends for many many years before of deciding course, yeah. to publish so i mean uh, the the learning uh, is very good and also you learn a lot about all the other stuff involved as i was mentioning for example the image editing process but you also yeah. learn a lot about uh, graphic design because you need that for your cards for your boards for your components in, in general uh, you ended up learning a lot about manufacturing you ended up learning a lot about how to move stuff around the globe and stuff like that uh, so, or even like organizing and going to conventions to show your game is a whole other experience. And then it comes down to the Kickstarter that you, you asked about. So this is a, a different level of learning. I <laughs> had no idea how this uh, thing was going to be. And it's, it's a totally different game. It's something else entirely. I mean... Yeah. I haven't touched, uh, except for making the solo version, I haven't touched Hyper Wars in two years. Rules one. Okay. Of course, I still, I still, I'm still playing. I'm still demoing the game in many places. I'm, I'm sending copies to reviewers and stuff like that. But uh, in general, I haven't touched the game rules-wise in two years. So for two years, I've been working basically on marketing. Yeah. And in the end... For me, the realization I have nowadays is that having a small publisher like I do, it bears very little resemblance to like making games and much more mm. to making marketing. Yeah. So that's exactly what the game is about in the end. So I'm pretty sure there are amazing games uh, being sold and there are crappy games being sold, but the games that are being sold, they have marketing on them. Yes. That's what it is. And of course, this is uh, something interesting, a bit of a letdown as well, because of course, uh, I'm not in it for the marketing. It's not something I, I know by heart. It's not mm, something yeah. I do like, very easily. Uh, so of course, I ended up paying money for people to do this for me, which is not a problem. Uh, normally, it's a good service and helps me a lot. Uh, but for example, uh, while you build your Kickstarter campaign, one of the most important things is to make people see your game. 
So yes. uh, that's the reason why you do email uh, mailing lists for your game. That's the reason why you go to social media. That's the reason I'm here talking about it on a podcast and stuff. Of course, yeah, yeah. So basically, that that is the the most uh, vital thing for you if you want to promote your game, if you want to self-publish your game. Uh, of course, there is a completely different route where you don't do any of this. You just offer your games to uh, publishers, and if you are if you are picked to be published, then they you normally take care of all of that part, which is great, yeah. of course. Yeah, but it's just a different uh, route. It's just a different path uh, that you can you can choose. So definitely has been a super uh, humbling uh, experience because you understand how how you actually need to make this about the other people, the people that will play your game, how you need to make them understand that, okay, maybe you are just a small uh, publisher and you want just to bring your game uh, to the market for the people, but there are thousands of others doing exactly the same. And then you actually need to make this about the player, about the experience you are yeah. giving to the player in the end. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, you touched on a very good point there. Like when you think about game designing, you you don't think about the fact that you're going to have to learn, you know, sales, marketing, and like you said, uh, graphic design and things like that. It's like people go to colleges and university for years to study these things, to become professionals in doing that. And, you know, so many uh, small publishers, you know, uh, to, in order to try and keep costs down, they have to take on all these roles, and it's a it's a massive learning curve. Yeah, you know, hobby within a hobby within a hobby. It's so much to take on, and, and I'm kind of the same. Like, I, I obviously have never designed a game or run a publisher, but like, I always wanted to do a podcast. I've never done any kind of audio production or anything like that. I've been a drummer for many many years, but. As a drummer, I've always had someone else doing all the audio and all that kind of stuff. I just turn up and hit things, you know. <laughs> someone else does everything else for me. Yet, obviously, taking on this, I, I've had to learn all these tiny little things that people don't think about, you know, learning good mic technique and learning how to balance audio and, and working with audio tuning softwares and, and things like that. It's not just a case of sit behind a microphone, press record, and then press upload online. Yeah, exactly. You know, I could do that. I'm not going to lie, it would sound terrible if I did that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, all the, all the lovely listeners out there don't get to listen to all of my mistakes that I make because mm-hmm. I have to cut them out of the recordings. <laughs> you know, I forget my own questions. I have to stop talking for a couple of seconds to read what I've written and, and stuff like that. It's all a learning curve that I've had to take on with, with things like the podcasting. And, you know, as you've said, you've had to do something similar with, with the whole publishing your own games. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah. The, the journey from, from designer idea to something on the shelf of a store that you can buy from is mm. like so big. <laughs> so oh, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, if, if only it was simple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. So uh, when, when is your Kickstarter actually due to, to, to drop? Have you got a date that that's coming out? Yes, uh, it's on uh, October 27th. Day after my birthday. Aha, nice. <laughs> uh, I don't know exactly when the, you are airing the episode, but uh, depending on it is, the, the, the campaign was, is going to be live right now or maybe in a couple of days. I don't know. Uh, it depends. So... Um, this will come out a couple of days before. Nice. Yeah. yeah, so it's starting in a couple of days on the 27th uh, of October. And uh, yeah, it will be on Kickstarter. And 
I hope you can, uh, everyone listening can just go and check the game. It's a really well-made game. I'm not saying this because I, I did it, but because not just me, <laughs> but many other people put their effort on it. So uh, all the marketing people helping me, uh, I have a lot of friends that do help me with the, the graphic design and we have a gorgeous artwork on the game, gorgeous cyberpunk artwork from a designer called Nicholas Hook, which is also a game designer. The guy is amazing and his artwork is so glorious. I, I, <laughs> I love the, I'm really in love with the Hyper Wars uh, uh, artwork. I think uh, a lot of the listeners will will back me up when I say that I rather I, I often will talk about artwork in games and how nice. much it, it you know how much I love artwork within games and and certain games you know you can even look at it and go do you know what that would look better in an art gallery yeah. than some paintings I that I've it. seen yeah you know? <laughs> and of course you mentioned before like yeah that I had the the campaign before and uh, I am relaunching now. And one of the reasons I think the, the first campaign didn't fund uh, was because some of the non-artwork components, meaning the meeples and the, the cubes or the boxes, uh, they were not on par with the rest of the art of the game. So mm. one of the things I've made in this, it's been a year since I had my first Kickstarter with Hyperwars. And mm-hmm. one of the things I, I've done in this year was to... Um, revamp all the components i i had to to make them look better to make them yeah. give a better look and feel a better uh cyberpunk look and feel to the to the game and i i think it's uh, paying off a lot so because i mean uh i've been to the with the game to conventions this year so i went to ukg for example i've been to another one Trakon in finland and some others here in sweden and this game is an absolute hit in all conventions because nice. during a convention, the, sometimes people they don't want to spend one and a half hour playing a game, uh, of course, including yeah. learning the game sometimes. So uh, uh, Hyper Wars is a game that I can explain five minutes and you can play in another 10 minutes and then you're off your way. So it's... Uh, of course, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, really a hit for, for conventions and people are, are loving it. Yeah, good. So it's, it's good to hear that you've got the good feedback at conventions because obviously that's one of the key areas for for actually publicizing the games that you have in, in person at, at UKGE this year, for example. It was very, very busy. I know that you were saying that you had quite a few people that were at the stand and that they were enjoying the game. So yeah. fingers crossed this time around, it will be a little bit easier for you. It's nice to hear that you've sort of listened to some feedback and have adjusted certain things about the game to bring those components into a more in line with the, with the rest of the game. Yeah, so. that's for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. I apologize that I've kept you for, for so long, No, no but um, it, it has been a pleasure talking about the game and getting to know you a bit better as well. And uh, yeah, more importantly, learning about the game that's coming to Kickstarter that uh, is probably going to take some more of my money. I can well, well <laughs> believe it. <laughs> so um, yeah, you can, you can expect to see my name on the back of list, I'd imagine. Nice. Thank you so uh, much. Or it might actually come under my partner's name. Who, who knows? All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a copy coming into the house. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, no. Thank awesome. you so much for uh, having me, Jason and uh, James as well. Uh, yeah, I'm very uh, pleased to be here today and talking to you about Hyper Wars and game design and all this stuff. Yeah.
really cool. It's been a very interesting conversation. You know, a little bit, little bit of everything in there, 3D printing, hobby, you know, a bit of computer gaming. So I think we've ticked all the boxes today, yeah, which, is, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> awesome stuff. So, yep, just very quickly before we sign off, would you like to tell people where they can find you on social media or Board Game Geek or, or whatever it is? And uh, obviously plug your campaign one more time. Definitely. So everyone can go to playhyperwars.com if you want to know more about the game. But you can also find us on the web on dicecoalition.games or either Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you search for Dice Coalition Games, you're definitely going to find us. Excellent stuff. That sounds nice and easy. And now I will try re- to remember to make that nice and easy by putting all the links in the uh, podcast description as well. I'll so send, if you want to do it nice and easy, just open up the description of the podcast and there should be some links in there for you. But yes. Thank you again for joining me. Uh, We are going to hand over to our man in the new shed, but we will be saying goodbye and uh, we shall speak to all of you listeners next week. But till then, my name has been Jason. Fabrizio. And a big, big thank you for joining us. Join us next week for more tabletop gaming goodness. Till then, ta-ta and goodbye. I really don't think this is a good idea. How do you talk me into stuff like this? Wiring each other up with electrodes is not something sane people do. Exactly what's this for? To break out bad habits, you say. So, when you do something annoying, I buzz you. And vice versa. Like this. Okay, okay, I get it. Don't think the voltage is a little high, do you? That's higher, you little sod. Right, right, enough, enough. Just let me get the news done without giving me burnt ends and we can start your little trial. What have I signed up for? Um, Brian, old chap, would you be so kind as to press our jingle button? Thank you. Back to this year's spiel for a moment. With most of the attention on the show's floor and the dazzling newly released games, things continue behind the scenes with deals being struck between designers and publishers, and indeed the future of the hobby, including a certain game in which we, humans, no longer play a role. After Us is a game by Florian Sirio and Catch Up Games for one to six players that is scheduled to debut at February's Festival International de Jeux Game Convention, or FIJ, at Cannes in 2023. Before general release in France in March, licensed versions are likely to follow in other languages, but such deals are often worked out at Spiel itself, so watch this space for a more general release date. Well, in a nutshell, about us, the title of the upcoming game from Catch Up Games is in all sense Planet of the Apes, the game but with a more abundant collection of the primate species. In 2083, humankind, as we do, mess stuff up. And we died out decades ago, leaving behind mere vestiges of its time on Earth. As time went by, nature reclaimed land all over. In this resurgent world, apes have kept evolving. They've been gathering in tribes, growing, mastering human items and advancing in their quest for knowledge. 
as the leader of such a tribe, you need to guide it towards collective intelligence. After Us is a deck building and resource management game featuring an original and intuitive combo system in which players each lead a tribe of non-human primates. Starting only with Tamarins, they combine their cards each turn to collect resources and gather victory points, attracting new primates into their tribe along the way. Powerful gorillas, resourceful orangutans, versatile chimpanzees and wise mandrels. The first player to obtain 80 points prevails in the race to collective intelligence and wins the game. Like many modern family weight games, Gameplay in After Us is mostly solitaire-ish. Think Wingspan and Ark Nova. Each player starts with a deck of 8 random Tamarins, and on a turn you draw 4 of them. Arrange them in a line as you choose, then carry out the actions in the completed boxes line by line from left to right. As you probably tell, After Us is all about the puzzle of how to arrange your cards in a row you can never complete all the boxes on your cards, but as you get better primates, you gain more boxes to complete on a single card and more powerful half boxes to combine, with only occasional glances at your opponents to compare scoring positions. Otherwise, After Us is a heads down game in which you're trying to squeeze every benefit possible out of what's available to you. UK publisher Steamforged Games recently announced its next video game to board game adaptation that will be heading to Kickstarter on November 22nd. After bringing us Dark Souls back in 2016, which raised over $5 million, Steamforged Games has gone on to bring us adaptation after adaptation to the sum of over $22 million, with notable games based on video game licenses, among them Horizon Zero Dawn, Resident Evil and Devil May Cry. But its products are far from perfect. Horizon Zero Dawn the board game was published with several errors and omissions, leading to a hefty set of errata. While fun to play, Resident Evil 2 the board game was printed far too dark to be clearly understood at the table. While early playtests for Dark Souls the board game went well, some found the final product to fall a bit flat. Later, Dark Souls the role-playing game was so riddled with errors and contradictions that the entire first batch had to be reprinted. With that being said, the British company has just announced Elden Ring the board game, which has already garnered over 20,000 followers on its Kickstarter preview page, with as I said the project not going live until November 22nd. Elden Ring the board game will immerse players in the forsaken lands between in a vast, sprawling world of decaying grandeur that unfolds through their exploration. One to four tarnished players will embark on a huge and varied adventure, visiting iconic locations and crossing paths with familiar enemies and characters. The video game's characteristically challenging fights will be recreated by intelligent, dice-free combat requiring players to strategize and adapt their plans during each encounter, whether that be with a lowly Godric soldier or the grafted king himself. With the video games of Dark Souls and Elden Ring sharing no real connection, the game plays very similarly, so we shall have to see if their board game adaptations play similarly and Steamforged have learnt from their string of issues. 
a game still awaiting release that has been six years in the making, is Precognition from French designer Julien Profier and being published by Ludenor. The game was brought to my attention after reading the designer diary over on Board Game Geek, and the trials and tribulations over the course of those six years, from its initial concept of being based on an anthill to what it is now, and its introduction of a new card drafting system going by the name of the Dual Select System. In a post-apocalyptic world, you play a prescient, an immune gifted with the power of precognition. You travel down the Great River, exploring the banks to rescue contaminated humans, to hire immune doctors to treat them, or immune protectors to protect the boat from the banes of which to come. Try also to collect batteries to activate the machines of your boat, or food to feed the new healthy humans. In precognition, you must truly see the future to win the game. That comes from understanding a new card mechanism, the Dual Select System. In addition to being innovative, the Dual Select System fits perfectly with the theme, because among the two cards that you will let pass, one of them will come back to you next turn. You have 12 turns to make the right choices. Your goal is to have the most healthy humans at the end of the game. To keep the humans you take in while working your way downstream, you will need food, doctors to treat them and protectors to fight banes you'll encounter, so good luck. The game is played over 12 rounds with each round consisting of three distinct phases, with each phase being done by all players simultaneously. The decision phase is done in secret, you draw and choose cards according to the new dual select system. The action phase sees you activating your cards in order to earn resources, with any of your powered machines being used if they can and gaining the benefits from their effects. Lastly, the maintenance phase is where you manage your tribe's banes and if you suffer anything. You heal all possible contaminated humans and move forward on the Great River from which you reveal and apply the event. Each player applies the event's effect. Every three rounds it is the end of the season and it is when you feed the new healed humans, but make sure you do have enough food for everyone. At the end of the third season, after feeding the healthy humans, you have saved, count them. The player with the most healthy humans wins the game. If tied, the player with the most healthy humans and contaminated humans wins the game. If the players are still tied, they share the victory. I'm always one for nice artwork and precognition is no exception. Sebastian Cavallo has been brought on board to add his unique essence to the game as he has done for other games such as When I Dream, Lost Cities, Monara, Not Alone and all of the latter two games expansions. As I mentioned, Julien Prothier's design diary is over on Board Game Geek website and is well worth a read. Have you ever been sat playing a game of Catan? Looked across those little hexagonal tiles that comprise the island and think to yourself, this would make one heck of a novel. Nope, me neither. But the creator of everyone's first non-Hasbro board game, Klaus Tuber, believes it's worth at least three. He's announced a trilogy of books set in the world of Catan. I know it's not the first Catan novelization, as author Rebecca Gable collaborated on her title with Klaus, the Settlers of Catan novel way back in 2003, before being published in English in 2011. 
The Catan creator has apparently decided to stick with the Viking theme, but distance himself from the characters and storyline created by Gable. Published by German board game and puzzle company Cosmos, the 576-page Catan de Roman, or the novel, will be the first of three volumes penned by Tuba, and spin an epic yarn about a great love, a bit of struggle for power, and the hope of a new home, according to the official description. The synopsis reads, Norway in the year 860. The half-brothers, Thorolf, Yigvi and Diga help the daughters of the Viking Prince Haldor to escape. Haldor's revenge is not long in coming. He roams through the territory of the Liberators, pillaging and banishing them. The brothers have no choice. With settlers who are willing to emigrate, they set out for new shores and after an adventurous sea voyage reach Catan, the land of the sun. But the island presents the brothers with enormous challenges. Will they stand together to offer the settlers a brighter future, or will this task divide them? What isn't clear is why Tuba is returning for a second stab at storytelling within the world of Catan, especially one attempting to lay the foundation for a trilogy. The company that has sprung up around the competitive trading and building board game rebranded it as simply Catan in 2015, dropping obstinable mention of a colonial settlement from the title. Tuba could be looking to seize on renewed interest in tabletop games as intellectual properties, with longevity in markets outside of local game stores. I mean, board games attempting to break mass market through alternate media is a little hit and miss. Take my guilty pleasure of the movie Battleship, which to many was seen as an expensive catastrophe, and the numerous dabbles with Dungeons and Dragons over the years, animated cartoon series aside. Although the upcoming D&D film, Honor Among Thieves, could break the mould. A new hidden movement board game that sees one player hunting the others is giving off a serious Dead by Daylight vibes as The Stifling Dark, a horror board game by sophisticated Cerberus Games, is garnering for your funding over on Kickstarter right now. The Stifling Dark is a board game that sees one player controlling a deadly killer who must hunt down the others just like any good horror flick. During the game, the players will need to move their chosen investigators across the board in search of items, pathways and an eventual exit, all whilst being hunted by the hidden adversary. As a hidden movement game, The Stifling Dark will have one player, whoever is controlling the adversary, moving across the board without disclosing their location to the others. Meanwhile, the rest of the players in this horror board game are working together to look for the evidence they need to prove the adversary's existence to the wider world. Three pieces of evidence are hidden behind the adversary's screen, with the investigators needing to find those pieces before selecting an escape route which varies from game to game, with some having the players simply managing to leave and others seeing them confront the adversary head-on. To move across the board, players will need to use their flashlight components to light the way by placing an acrylic template on the board in front of their character token. Players will be able to see what might be hiding in those spaces. The acrylic template can reveal the clues that players are seeking as well as possible adversaries hidden in. If they find themselves in a tight spot, 
players can choose to sprint across the board, thereby covering more ground than they usually be able to. However, characters have a limited amount of flashlight battery life and stamina, so they'll need to be careful with their usage. All the while, adversary will be secretly moving across the board using their character screen attempting to sneak up on the unsuspecting investigators. The adversary's location will be revealed if an investigator shines their light on them, with the adversary able to use their various abilities to catch their victims off guard. Players controlling the adversary will win if they successfully murder all their victims. The game is for 2-5 to five players, taking around 25 minutes per player and is suited, as is the norm nowadays, for 14 years and over. Pledges come in the usual support pledge for a pound or retailer pledge for £10, gaining access to the pledge manager once the campaign completes. For the actual game, you can pledge £45 or $50 for the base game and any applicable stretch goals that get unlocked. Currently, this stands at additional items and adversaries, dice upgrades and a new map. You can also grab the deluxe version of the game for £62 or $70, which, as it states, comes with a few upgraded components over the base game counterpart, with the addition of an expansion entitled Nightfall, a set of sleeves for all the cards, and of course, all the unlocked stretch goals. And thanks to all who came last Sunday to our Mid-Sussex Meeples game day. I'm assuming it was another great turnout because I'm actually recording this pre-event. So I hope you will or slash did enjoy yourselves. The next events to pop in your diaries require you to make a choice. Mid-Sussex Meeples game day will be on the Sunday 20th of November. With Worthing board gamers stepping up and hosting their own game day down in Worthing on the same day. But don't worry, we've been in discussions and it's the only date they could get hold of for the hall that they're using. It gives people more choice and that's always a good thing. Uh, we'll provide more information closer to the time. Well, we'll just have to see how the format change goes with the listeners, won't we, Brian? I know money's tight everywhere and those crowdfunding projects don't seem to be getting any cheaper. I mean, we are the news, and I've never seen any residual checks from the publishers, to be honest. What do you mean, you have? Don't go quiet on me now, you little bugger. I think we need to have a little talk, young man. First, say goodbye to everyone. It's no good running, I've got this. As a goodbye from me. Keep safe, meeples. Keep those dice rolling, the cards shuffling, and we'll be right here for you next week. Ow!